Hello and welcome. You're listening to Lore and Legend with your hosts Sebastian O'Dell and Rick Scott. Every week we bring you a legendary tale inspired by the rich traditions of world folklore and mythology. In this episode, the Elfin Queen leads the folk prophet Thomas the Rhymer deeper into the Elfin lands and unfolds for him the tale of a young boy and his desperate search for his younger sister. This is the Dark Tower. And she rode upon her milk-white steed, and I held her waist behind. And for forty days and forty nights, we saw no star and saw no light. And as they rode, the elfin queen pointed out to Thomas three terraces encircled by stones. And she told Thomas the dreadful tale of the being who was lord of that place, the spirit of the dark tower. Well, as I heard told, there once lived a young lad called Roland. And Roland, he had two brothers, and he worshipped them. He wanted to be just like them. They were bigger and they were stronger than he was, and he couldn't always keep up when they were playing at games. But when that happened, Roland would make himself feel better by picking on his sister, Bird Ellen. He used to tease her mercilessly, even though all she wanted to do was join in. And one day Roland and his brothers were out playing with their ball, as children do, and he kicked the ball high up over the roof of the church. And Ellen, trying to involve herself in any way that she could, ran off at once to go and fetch the ball from round the church. So the brothers waited, and they waited, and they waited, but Ellen didn't come back. Oh, child Roland and his brothers too were playing at the ball, and with them was bird Ellen, pig middle between them all. Roland kicked the ball up with his foot, and he caught it with his knee. And he dived and struck the ball high up over the church where none could see. And Bird Ellen round the church wall thrice to find the ball was gone. And long there they stood, and long they called, but their sister, she did not come. So they rode to the east, they rode to the west, scoured the county up and down. But woe were the hearts of those brothers free, for their sister were nowhere found. Now Roland, he was forced to watch as his eldest brother, strapped on their father's old sword, saddled his horse and set out into the deep country looking for their sister. And they waited for months, but he didn't return. In his absence, the three of them struggled to manage the land and the folk. But one day, Roland's second brother was walking down by the narrow stream. And he looked up and he saw their father's sword returning to them on the frothing current 
of the water. And when he brought that sword back home and showed it to them, they all looked at each other, and they knew that their brother was lost. The very next day, the second brother strapped on his father's old sword. He saddled his horse, and he set out into the deep country to look for his brother and his sister. So Roland and his mother waited for months, and the lands went unmastered, and so all about them the wildness began to creep in. And all the time that he was waiting, Roland used to look at the bed across the room where his sister once slept. He thought about the way that he had laughed at her and sneered at her, how he had enjoyed being cruel to her, and he felt deeply ashamed. Now half a year passed, and then, on the night of Roland's sixteenth birthday, his mother cried out, for there, up and out of the bubbling cooking pot, rose the hilt of their father's old sword, and Roland looked at it, his heart broke in his chest, because he knew then that both of his brothers were lost. And it was the next night that Roland, under the cover of darkness, took down his father's sword from the wall, saddled a horse in the stable, and stole out onto the road without saying a word of goodbye to his mother. But Roland, he didn't know where to go or what he should do, so he went to the edge of the wood, and he looked for the warlock of the woods, a crazy old man who people said slept in badger sets or bird nests, who wove fawns into his long beard and washed himself in the muddy brook. The warlock seemed to know that Roland was coming, and he told Roland a story. Once your father was a boy, and the youngest was he of three brothers. And one day these brothers three were walking in the woods, and they met a stranger. Little did they know that he was the Lord of Elfland. And meeting the Lord of Elfland, they played at knucklebones, and they bet their souls against his fairy gold. The first brother, he lost his soul on a throw of the bones. And then the second brother, he lost his soul on a throw of the bones. But when the Lord of Elfland meant to throw the bones a third time, your father reached over, he drew the Lord's own sword and struck him with it. Your father escaped. And he was a rich man with all that gold. But the Lord of Elfland swore that one day he would have his revenge, and that one day your father's kin would lose a treasure more precious than any gold. And now you have. Three times Widdishins around the church Bird Ellen went, and by it lost her protection against the creatures of the strange land. She is now a prisoner of that lord, the spirit of the dark tower, and it would take the bravest kind of Christian to bring her back. 
Well, I will bring her back, said Roland, or I'll die trying. So the warlock of the wood taught Roland what he should do, and what he should on no account do while he was looking for the strange lands. If you would go to Elfland, the warlock said, you must remember two things. First, you must ride across the breadth of your family's acreage, and if on the journey anybody speaks to you, when their words are finished, no matter who they are, you must take your father's sword and strike off their heads. And second, while you are there, you must let no crumb of food or drop of liquid pass your lips. Because if you do, never more the light of Middle-earth shall you, young children, ever see. And when they were done, Roland replied, I thank you, master, the one that they call Merlin. And then he went on his way. So goes he seeking for strange lands. Thrice round the churchyard he makes his way. And riding on his good strong horse, child Roland, to the black stream came. And on the far bank of that stream was a man minding a pack of horses. But the flesh of the horses, it was grey as stone, and her eyes burned like red coals. The air was full of mist, strange gloaming, and he asked the horse-hand where could he find the Lord of Elfland's dark tower. Aye, well, that I can't tell thee, he said, but go on a little further, and thou wilt come to the cowherd, and he is sure to know. Roland looked down at the ground, and wordlessly he drew his sword. And then, with one stroke, he sliced off the horse hand's head. The blood splashed on his horse's flank. The head rolled in the mud at his feet. And then Roland turned, and he continued his ride out to the edge of his family's lands. So goes he seeking four strange lands over river, wood, and plain, and praying for his brother's lost child Roland to the deep wood came. And there at the edge of the wood, he saw a man minding his cattle, and he asked of him the same question. Well, that I can't tell thee, he said, but go on a little further, and thou wilt come to the henwife, and she is sure to know. And without a word more, Roland drew the elf sword, and off went the cowherd's head, and he continued his journey. So goes he seeking for strange lands, in dark and cold and rain, and praying for bird Ellen lost, child Roland to the stone bank came. And there, under the shadow of the stone bank, he saw a woman. She wore a grey cloak, and she was scattering seeds for her chickens. And again, he asked this woman, if she knew where the dark tower of the Lord of Elfland was. Oh, yes, said the henwife. Go on a little further, 
till you come to a dark green hill. Go round it three times backwards and sing three times the magic words which I will teach you. And the third time the hill will open and you may go in. And the henwife did, she taught Roland the magic words. And Roland thanked her and he spurred his horse and he turned away and he began to ride along the path that she had pointed out to him. But just before she would have been lost to his sight, he remembered the warlock's words. He felt a deep dread in the pit of his stomach. And he wheeled his horse around, and he galloped back across the road. He drew his sword, he closed his eyes, and as he passed the henwife, he struck off her head. The blood sprayed across his face. Her head rolled beneath his horse's hooves. And Roland rode on into the black night. So goes he seeking four strange lands through evening, dawn and day. And girt with his father's elfin sword, Child Roland to the dark tower came. Roland looked up, and he saw an earthen tower. Remembering the henwife's words, Roland circled three times backwards, singing the magic words that she had given to him. And the third time that he sung those words, the stones of the hillside fell away. And they revealed a dark passage, and the passage curled down and down and down into the very bowels of the earth itself, until at last he came to an earthen chamber, and there he saw his sister lying upon a couch of green moss, bound in the grip of some sinister magic. He tried to wake her but her eyes only flickered open for the briefest of moments, and as they did, she sighed. O oh, Roland, my sweet foolish brother, why didn't you stay at home? For come the Lord of Elfland here, to a better you'd not been born. Exhausted and hungry from his journey, all Roland could think was that he needed food and sleep to face the dark tower's lord. And there, right by his sister's bed, was a golden dish, and in that dish was bread soaked in honey-sweet milk. Oh, Roland, he lifted the bowl up to his mouth. It smelled delicious. But before the milk could touch his lips, he heard a sound, like cold laughter, echoing dimly in the chamber. And see and sigh and sow and sob, for I smell the blood of a Christian man. And be them alive or be them dead, with my sword I'll dash their brains from their heads. In a flash, Roland recalled the warlock's words, 
and he threw the bowl onto the floor. Not a sip will I swallow or a mouthful will I take, he said, not till my sister Ellen is free. And as soon as he had spoken these words, the shadows around them began to swirl. And one of those shadows began to grow taller than all the rest, tall as an elm tree. His nose and chin were pointed and hooked. His skin was hard and scaled and wiry. And from his mouth flicked a sword-like tongue that cut the air to taste it. And in one hand he held a brand, and in the other a bowl for Roland's blood. And he gazed at the lad with yellow eyes that blazed unblinking. Now to fight the Lord of Elfland is to fight a force that pours forth with the strength of the night and surges with the speed of the dark. But though the Elf Lord called on all the choirs of night to curse Roland, though he struck at him with the shafts of the midnight moon, he could not touch him. Because Roland had taken no drop or mouthful of food in that place. And he'd crossed the path of no watcher without destroying them utterly. And for that reason, no power of the strange lands could bind him or harm him. And though at first he was bowed with terror, with each twist and turn of body and blade, this truth began to dawn on Roland. So brave and bold grew his Christian heart, and his eyes they came bright with flame. And then, with one true strike of the elfin sword, did child Roland the Dark Lord slay. And with the dying screams of the Lord of Elfland, his enchantments unraveled. Around them, the walls of the Dark Tower began to fade, and Roland found himself standing once more outside the Irvin Mount. His sisters and his brothers lay at his feet. One by one their eyes flickered open, and they took breath while they embraced each other. And Roland held his sister Ellen tightly to his chest, as if he would never let go. And from that day forward they swore that they would never venture again into the strange lands of the Elf Lords. Never again would Bird Ellen run around the church Widdishins. And more than that, Roland never again spoke a cruel or harsh word to her. Nor ever again did he deal an unjust blow against the life of another, whether they were human or no. <laughs> And she said, Thomas, you must hold your tongue, whatever you may hear or see. For speak you a word of elfin land, and Middle-earth you'll never more see. So, what was it that made you want to tell this tale? There are a number of things that I really love about the tale of Child Roland. First of all, you know, you've got that link to Shakespeare, you know, that mm -hmm. very, that cryptic verse from the play. 
which hints at this kind of lost legend. And then almost miraculously, about 200 years later, the actual fairy tale was written down and transmitted by a, a tailor. And so this is one of the tales that I've actually changed the most. Mm. My defense of that is that um, I almost wanted to reconstruct this lost ballad, this lost folk tale. The verse, the line in Shakespeare isn't in the version that was passed down, but uh, there are verses in it they're just different verses mm. so I really wanted to hear a version of this tale which includes the line Child Roland to the Dark Tower came mm. and so that got me uh, that got me thinking and um, what I ended up doing was tying that to the uh, sort of the rule of three structure in this tale yeah so you've got the horse herd the cow herd and the hen wife yep so I I created these verses where Roland is moving across his lands, across the landscape to the the dark wood, the 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 river, the stone bank, mm. and then eventually to the dark tower. The dark tower itself, Joseph Jacobs, when he put the story into his book, calls it the dark tower mm. as a reference to Shakespeare. But the original tale, I just called it, you know, the the Lord of Elfland's castle. Right, yeah. But having said that, the original tale does um, have that whole thing about calling it a castle, but then what is described is an ancient fairy mound, you know, a hill mm. uh, with the three terraces around it. Even though in a folk tale you can read, oh, they came to a castle, but what they're actually talking about are these, you know, strange constructions on our landscape old fortresses and burial mounds which were associated with fairy hills and that kind of thing yeah so i loved that i wanted to get a sense of a recreation of an old tale mm. and the more that i did that there are just other elements and things that i wanted to add into it almost to sort of build on the lore of the tale mm. one of the decisions i made which i'm not I'm not quite sure how it happened because in both of the original sources for this tale, they both include Merlin and Guinevere um, mm. and in fact suggest that Roland is related to King Arthur. Mm. But for some reason I got into a telling of the story which took us away from that yeah. version. And even though it still suggested that the warlock of the wood is is Merlin, one of the things that came out of that is that uh, instead of having uh, Roland go to the queen uh, for a sword, yeah, which happens in the the, jo the the Jacobs telling, and which in one of the other sources is specifically referred to as being Guinevere, it's actually Roland's father's sword, yeah. I wanted Roland and his family to sort of have this kind of like connection and this history mm. behind the abduction and why it happens. Um, and so I added that motif of the sword that magically returns because uh, because I thought it was cool. <laughs> um, there's very much a sense in which Roland, uh, Roland goes and gets his sword in the original tale. And there's no explanation really of why his brothers, who are older than him and go ahead of him, shouldn't 
also have received the swords. You know, mm. what's special about Roland in that sense? So that's why I took this different interpretation of actually they do take the sword with them um, and they fall and it has to come back somehow. I thought, oh, well, great, a magical element. You know, mm. the sword that that uh, returns on the flowing water of the river um, and then rises out of the cooking pot. Um, that is... Uh, what you might call faux tale. It's not. Uh, it's not an original motif. It is something that I have added, mm. uh, but I, I, I like it. <laughs> uh, and in this, sorry, I was going to say, do you do you then? So in the original tale, then presumably, you know, the receiving of that magical sword is what gives Roland his edge. Do you have a sense in in your telling of the tale as to what is? Roland's advantages over his brothers. Do you know? Do you have a headcanon of why his uh, his brothers failed, where Roland succeeded? In the original story, I basically told the reason that they fail is because they do not heed Merlin's words. Right. Uh, in my version of the story, the two brothers don't even go and see Merlin. Mm. so um, that's something specifically that Roland does and I guess the idea for me is that Roland knows that he can't make it on his own you know he does need guidance mm. um, and so I guess the answer there is that that Roland has the wisdom to seek some sort of help mm. he knows that he is unprepared mm. whereas his brothers do not know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there is that element, um, which which brings us to the other thing that I added, which was the the story about meeting the king of Elfland mm. uh, and playing at Knucklebones. Uh, again, the the game of Knucklebones. Um, I was reading through uh, a classical dictionary um, and just came across the entry on Knucklebones in the description of the game, and I thought that's really interesting. I want to use that somewhere. Mm. Um, and it's uh, you know it's, it's a nice evocation of sort of like an ancient gambling game mm. because it uses knuckle bones. It's quite creepy. Yeah. So I thought it was something that it would be very cool to have the Lord of Elfland engaging in. Yeah. Um, it also it has the effect of in the structure of the tale introducing the Lord of Elfland as a threat early on, and he is a character before he simply appears out of the shadows as he does in the original tale mm. you know there is a there's a strong element of foreshadowing there yeah which almost um increases i think the sense of danger and foreboding you know you get a little bit of the shape of the character before you meet him you know we're using the structures of three and there's roland and his brothers who fail his father was also the youngest of three brothers who failed. Mm. And then it also ties into the sort of the themes of the sins of the family, the sins of the father. Yeah. Good that you set that up early because stories of Elfland and the King of Fairy, you're almost expecting a sort of, uh, you know, sort of just kind of lording over his fairy court as opposed to what you get in your story, which is quite a bit more uh, menacing and, you know, hiding in the shadows. And so I think, yeah, setting that up early on means that the listeners don't go in with the 
the sense of, uh, you know, with a false sense of security, as it were. <laughs> yes, I think that element is very much there in the original tale in the sense the verse that is in Shakespeare and which is in the original tale. Mm. Child Road into the Dark Tower came is not in the, uh, the one that was collected by the folklorist. However, the fee-fi-fo-fun... I smell the blood of a Englishman or a British man is in both mm. of them. I mean, we, we all recognise that you know that traditionally that is from Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. So he's a he's a monster. You know, he's yeah. he's coming there to kill you. That fits into this this cycle of of elf knights, yeah. of supernatural opponents. My model for the Lord of Elfland. Mm. Uh, is a painting by William Blake of the ghost of a flea. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that painting, but it's uh, so it's supposed to be a humanoid representation of a flea, but he's like a green, scaly creature with uh, this kind of flicking tongue. Uh, it's, it's an ogre, it's a monster. Um, the episode in the forest, something that I kind of came up with but I've, I've since also read a bit about the German folk tales of the Earl King you know this creature out on the highways and mm. the the yeah. German word for elf is sort of Earl here yeah different words don't have kind of like a different texture to them don't mm. they and almost just by calling them the Earl King you almost get this again slightly more threatening folkloric narrative that I've sort of stitched into the tale here kind of also echoes that as well. For some reason the Earl King to me evoked I mean it, it, that's the sort of thing, a different word has a very different evocation in terms of what it brings out to you and uh, yeah for me the Earl King is kind of a bit more earthy and sort of wizen uh, creepy uh, than, than standardly I would associate with Elf King yeah. Probably again due to all of the associative problems that we talked about in, mm. in previous discussions. Your um, yes, you're telling it's not a straightforward tale of somebody does these things and these are their consequences. The atmosphere of the story is broader and grander, which I think potentially resonates with the fact that you've picked up something that comes both from a dramatic tradition where it appears in Shakespeare and in in a folkloric tradition. No, I would agree. All this is his presence in Shakespeare makes you want to give it that sort of epic register. Yeah. It's been associated with Lear, which has its own very sort of grand and sweeping theme thematic tones. Yeah. Um, and so almost when you you know you hear those snatches of verse and you think oh you know that's there's some great legend behind that yeah so now that we actually have a folklore to go with it <laughs> um you know obviously the the hardcore um hardcore folklorists and storytellers who never want us to change these tales will be very angry with the things that i've done <laughs> um or at least disenchanted um but uh, one of the reasons that I separated it from the Arthurian tradition yeah. in this telling is that, again, Arthurian tradition has a lot of associations with it. 
And I think there's almost a sense in which Arthur... I mean, our, our fur and tails can be dark, mm. but a lot of them are not. Yeah. Um, there is a very... There's an almost... Um, Python-esque seems like the wrong <laughs> thing, but there's, you know, you know jolly, jolly knights off on their quest. Um, yeah. Deeds of chivalry. It's not as dark and as gritty as Child Roland has the potential to be. Yeah. You know, I wanted that child riding off into the dark night, not with the swagger and the assurance of mm. a knight of the round table, but just a scared boy. Yeah. And something horrible in the dark. Yeah, definitely. The whole thing about training to be a knight, the word child means uh, knight in training, or it was, it was kind of like being, uh, is it a a page or steward, you know the yeah. I I mean I don't know. I think I've learned it from you, so right. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll defer to you on that one. But bird also bird Ellen means. Does that mean young girl or yeah? It's like a I think it's a Scots an old Scots word for like maiden. Yeah. Um, yes, child child or, or child or however you're supposed to say it. Uh, more like a young teenager or young person rather than because you, you do have that thing where you you read the story and you tell the story and it sounds like Roland's like I don't know 10 or 12 yeah. at most <laughs> and I, I kind of like that actually I, I like the idea of him sort of being a child warrior so I kind of like to tell people what child means afterwards afterwards because yeah. maybe that does change your perception of the tale because it's a sort of coming of age story he you know he's he has to face this this incredible test while he's you know training and while he's you know still sort of thought to not quite be a proper knight when he's not ready when he least expects it he has to go through that um that uh that test because you also have that his brothers go first the the charmed third brother the youngest brother often is the, the kind of like the lucky or clever or brave one um, it's a recurring theme yeah um, I no. don't know I, not not being a third child I can't relate to uh, you know what that may be trying to say that's <laughs> <laughs> my sister in, in previous times I've heard you tell it it's uh, not made quite as much of uh, the relationship between Roland and his sister and his cruelty to her yeah, in the original story, there's this scene at the beginning where um, Roland and his brothers are playing and and she's kind of like piggy in the middle trying to catch the ball. And I was just trying to give more character to Roland and find more kind of motivation for it. And uh, that kind of image of, you know, brothers teasing their sister mm. um, and sort of being very casually cruel to siblings, which is... Uh, Something that, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people who have brothers and sisters can relate to. Yeah, I think we can all identify with that somewhere. <laughs> um, but um, um, it's also quite it's satisfying because, uh, to begin with, you have that, you know, he's mean to her, something terrible happens to her, he feels awful about it, and so he tries to make reparations. And then... At the end, you revisit the theme, and you know he won't do. You know he won't do it again. He's he's snatched away from the jaws of ultimate defeat. The his his hope of reprieve for um, 
uh, for what he's, you know, his cruelty to his sister. Well, as, uh, as, as well as sort of like having more character and kind of like emotional arcs, there's a whole thing of like, well, why is this happening? Mm. There's very little moral dimension to the story. There's, there's kind of the trying to aim for the sense of a lesson learned at the end. Yeah. Even if maybe being a bit cruel to your sisters, uh, get, having been kidnapped by uh, a demon from the other world is a bit overkill. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good in some ways because quite a lot of stories, because the, the, the main plot of the story begins with Bird Ellen going thrice around the church, Widdishans. Widdishans, for listeners who might not know, being, uh, going counterclockwise around the church, the wrong way around the church. <laughs> And there's a lot of things in, in, in old fairy stories of the things you don't do. You know, you don't step over the river uh, because then you step into elf land and you don't eat the food that the fairies give you. Um, and, you know, you, you do this, you leave food out for the hobgoblin or whatever. Um, but uh, these days we don't see the need to protect ourselves with magical charms in quite the same way. And so we don't, you know, there's not really quite such an emotional dimension to Bird Allen going thrice around the church Widdishans. It, it's kind of, it's a pleasing element that it happens. It's, but, but it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same motivation, motivational force. Whereas that kind of don't be cruel to your sister has that kind of abiding significance. It's a, uh, a modern taboo. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe it should be. <laughs> <laughs> don't go around the chair. No, no. Don't be cruel to your sister. Otherwise, the demon king will take her away. <laughs> bind her below the earth forever. Uh, this is interesting because it's the symbol of Christianity, which is usually the thing that you use to banish away the fairies. If you just treat the symbol wrongly, then suddenly you're, um, you're vulnerable to the fairies once again. Hmm. There's a... I think there's... there's in some uh, Scandinavian folklore, there's um, there's kind of like a tradition that some people who've got like the second sight or prophetic powers gain it by doing that. I think there's some kind of fast that they do, and then they go around the churchyard three times backwards, oh. and when they do that, they catch sight of people's uh, fetches or shades. So, yes, there's there's more Widdishans law for you. Roland is training to be a knight. But it, it, it has this kind of suggestion of a really quite peculiar sense of valour. His, his setup in the story is that he's, he's, he's not there yet. But this, this, if anything, is the quest that um, shows that you know, he, he, he's, he's brave and courageous. But um, his conduct is whenever he meets someone to chop the head off. <laughs> no matter what as soon as they're done talking chop their head off on the spot well it's very startling because I tried to contextualise that in my story mm. but in the original like when you read it that isn't really contextualised very strongly <laughs> so literally is just like the wizard tells him yeah you need to cut everybody's head off <laughs> <laughs> and he's like alright then <laughs> and he does um, <laughs> <laughs> always pay attention to wizards whatever they say and I remember when uh, I, I told Tim Ralphs that I was working on this story and he said oh yeah is, is that the one where he cuts everyone's head off <laughs> it's like it's the part that stands out and yeah. you're like that's, 
Um, so yeah, I tried to make it clear in my telling that that it's because they they obviously are fairies. Like yeah, but it's because they're in the guise of this horse herd. Mm this head wife uh this cow herd and it's so unassuming that they're, they're disguised as as common country folk yeah uh so it, it looks and sounds horrific <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but i was wondering if like, maybe that was part of it because i mean i don't know because you've contextualized it specifically but one thing that i kind of read into it when you were saying that was that um you know he he's not vulnerable to the charms of elf land because he cut all of their heads off it's almost as though he's not bought in to the notion that they are harmless country folk. That almost there's something symbolic about if he, if the henwife is just being helpful while she's scattering feed for his chickens, he's allowed that place's lies to sort of get their claws in. But if he cuts the head off, it proves that he knows that they're just sort of creatures of darkness or something. Uh, yeah, well, I guess there's that whole thing about seeing through the disguise, isn't mm. it? Like... The, the fairy world looks like ours, but then it suddenly changes and they all exist under under this glamour, this yeah. kind of uh, illusion. One of the things that I did drop um, is, uh, you know, in the end of the original tale, um, Bird Ellen is revivified. She's revivified by a fairy ointment, which is a common element of some of these tales and which we are going to see again, so yeah. it's worth it's worth mentioning. Next week, Thomas hears the story of another legendary minstrel and harpist, the poet king Orfeo. You've been listening to Lore and Legend, Episode 3, The Dark Tower. Our story today was interpreted and performed by Rick Scott. Music in this episode was performed by Robert Bentall. With additional sounds and audio from freesounds.org. Full credit for this is available on our website. For news about upcoming episodes and more info about our stories and their sources in world folklore, find us at www.loreandlegend.co.uk or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Of Law and Legend. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, there are a number of ways that you can support us here at Law and Legend. We're committed to keeping the episodes in this series free of adverts, but if you choose to listen to Law and Legend through the Radio Public app, listening to a few short sponsor messages between episodes will generate some modest sponsorship money for us. You can download Radio Public for free on the Android or Apple Store. If you don't want to listen to any ads, please consider supporting the podcast through our creators page on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash law and legend. Financial support motivates us to keep on telling our stories and may allow us to develop more creative content for our listeners in future. If you can't afford to support us regularly, but want to drop a few coins in the hat, you can do so using our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash law and legend. You can find all these links on our website, www.lawandlegend.co.uk.